0: Jade, your online EL, a podcast discussing all things early childhood education and care with our host, Tammy. Hello and welcome to episode two of Only Jade. I'm your host, Tammy. Uh, and today there will be some background uh, artist noises, compliments of the new cat I have adopted well, let's jump straight into it. Today, I'm going to discuss documentation. During the week, I was trying to decide if this would be more of a documentation 101 that laid out some basics or a deep dive that went into hyper-specific detail. And upon reflection, after also listening to quite a few podcasts um, and issued recessions too from around the world, I felt that what I wanted to contribute was more of a real talk on what the bare minimum versus the overachiever documentation standard and cycle looks like so let's start with the simple definition of documentation that i'll be running with for today's show for me documentation is evidence of learning sometimes this is like super simple i'm talking literally an r and l written beside a child's name on their work sample so i can monitor their dominant hand progress other times it's a huge story part post where I write a few paragraphs about the learning intentions, a child's involvement, language samples, and a plan for continuity of learning. This post is, of course, accompanied by dozens of photos. One style takes a moment, the other is a few hours, as I have dreadful Wi-Fi at work and it takes generally one to three hours to upload items to Story Park from my classroom. Now, my favorite fact about documentation is that there is no standard way to do it, yes, A CEQA in the National Quality Framework Information sheet titled Guidelines for Documenting Children's Learning very specifically say there are no mandated templates or programs for documenting children's learning or educational experiences. Guys, this gives us creative license to work smarter, not harder. If we endeavour to have a variety of documentation styles evident in the room, we have a wider net to observe learning as part of our documentation process. So when I started in childcare, there was no story park. So we had to have one of those old school VAPD A3 art books and each day we'd fill it with photos, drawings, and a recap of how the children's day was, what they learned, maybe even some ideas on how to extend on the interest at home. I also remember every child needing two learning stories every week with the staff in each room allocated a different group of children to document each month or quarter. The learning stories consisted of a picture, an analysis of learning, a link to the EYLF, and an ideas an ideas for extensions on learning and interests. It was all popped in the children's portfolio. Simple, a bit meaningless, and generally written by assistants who received no planning time. Trouble explains why they generally consisted of meaningless content designed to get the job done, rather than document the learning in the room. Nowadays, and admittedly, As an early childhood teacher, I do get around four to six hours of planning each week. Uh, And I've dramatically changed my documentation processes and my workplace expectations have also changed a lot too. I now do three summative assessments per child per year, which admittedly is a bit of a killer. Plus at least one item put into each child's portfolio each week if they're in attendance for that week. And um, I'm also supposed to post... A story park post every day, but probably only end up posting around three each week. To help me demonstrate the learning in my room, I have a I have like a floor book where a topic is chosen each day by either myself or the children, and I ask each child in the room to share their thoughts, which I then record as a mind map. And as I am in the kinder room or preschool room, as it also goes by, I definitely include the daily sign-in sheet as a formative, formative assessment documentation opportunity too since at the moment I'm just gonna have some tea now my current center has two main categories of documentation formative assessments and summative assessments I guess formatives fall on the assessment as learning and assessment for learning category whereas summatives lean towards assessment of learning which is just a hyper specific pedagogy talk anyway formatives uh, evidence of learning that happens every day that a child is in care. Some examples include learning stories, jottings, learning maps, and floor books. When I was told that every child needs at least one formative assessment each day that they're in care, I almost resigned. I had 41 kids in my class. That was until I started working smarter, not harder, with the learning goals I was setting and the learning spaces on offer so as I could easily document learning without having to commit to hundreds of learning stories each month. My favorite solution was collecting beautiful black and white work samples of the children with little annotated notes from myself or another educator in the room that were documented from, you know, whatever lens we agreed to view the documentation through. The main one I do, and admittedly I do repeat this each year, is I get the children to draw portraits of themselves each term. And accompany that drawing um, with like a little table that highlights where they draw, like makes marks on a page, Uh, draw a stick figure etc has like facial features um and I love this activity as it always demonstrates progress in my class's age range and of course the black marker drawings on white paper are you know very regio and as I mentioned earlier I have other learning goals like responding to a roll call when they hear their name um this is almost cheeky to have as a learning goal but as I'm obviously not going to take notes on it however when put on the spot I can rely on it as an um, audience member skill set that I'm encouraging. So, now we're on to summative assessments. Um, and these, on the other hand, are the bane of my existence. <laughs> I have to produce three per year per child. And they're so time-consuming and clunky that I really do have to force myself to do them. The first time I wrote a summative, it was beautiful and simple. Broke up into three main categories. Being belonging, and becoming, with a conclusion on where to head the following months with learning goals. Now they're an ongoing story park individual learning plan divided into the five VELDEF or EYLF outcomes with a nominated learning goal for each outcome, and these goals are in addition to the group goals in my program. I know I sound like a windjar, and I guess I am, but the problem with the expectation of summative assessments is that there's no additional planning time granted to ensure they're completed. So if you're like me and have 28 children in your class this year, that means assuming it takes say 40 minutes to write a summative per child, you will need to spend 18.6 hours writing summatives. So hopefully your center accommodates this, but I don't know many that do. At my center, the advice is to share the load around with the educators in the room. But the argument is that if a summative summative assessment is a requirement of the business, then the business needs to support their employees to produce a work of additional time off the floor during summative assessment seasons. I am often told to do it during rest time, but rest time is a rest for the children, not the staff. During this time, mealtime mess is being cleaned, children are being put to sleep, bathrooms are being cleaned, staff lunch breaks occur, um, and the children who don't Sleep needs to be supervised and don't even get me started on the possibility that perhaps you're working under the roof and can't work on your summative today during res time because you're by yourself with five babies in the nursery. I feel that the industry is at a tipping point where educators are being given teacher-sized workloads but with no expansion of planning time and minimal pay increases and the onus of that falls on the industry profits being squeezed. Out of educators, like honestly, I feel literally that they're being squeezed out of us. So, I'll just put a full stop there and move on to my next point. Um, the double-edged sword of documentation within the EYLF and the Victorian Early Years Learning Development Framework is that there are no actual must-have contents to include. So, in a learning story, you may have a photo, a description. An extension activity and a link to the EYLF. Then you may have a work sample of a drawing of a, a child's done where you write down the description of the drawing. Then you may have, my personal favorite as well, an A4 photo of a child with a super brief description at the top and at the bottom a reference to an EYL outcome and their learning goal outcome. If you stick to one type of documentation there will be holes Or if you're super comprehensive, then you'll head down the well-trodden path of educator burnout. So mix it up. Work with other educators and teachers in your room and aim for simple yet meaningful moments that don't take longer than 15 minutes to document most of the time. You know, you want to spend more time on your setup and engaging the children than sitting down by yourself note-taking. So the main thing also, and this does sound petty, is that you should really endeavor to include the date or at least the month the activity occurred in. Because, uh... And I would be like, "When did this even happen? Like, I don't know." <laughs> so, just do yourself a favour and write the date down. Okay, so we've touched on formative and summative. Now, onto my favourite part of being a preschool teacher—like, literally, children's portfolios. So, a portfolio is a collection of the child's work, observations, and photos of them. I advise to avoid cookie cutter portfolios and documentation methods whereby everyone has the same learning journey portrayed in their portfolio when A&R, and you know, in case you're struggling with my uh, lingo, assessment and reading. So when A&R occurs, they want to pick up a of portfolios and they want the contents to show them who the child is. So for example, if child A hates art and intentional teaching activities, they might prefer, I don't know, the block area. So their portfolio will have less work samples and more photos and notes of the description of their block area creations they don't want to do art and you know little writing tasks that you set in the room that's not a failure on your behalf it's a strength that you're accommodating what they're actually interested in and you know and you have proof of that in the different portfolios for different children or different portfolio contents i should say So I personally love my portfolios I use them to show parents how their children are progressing and I use them as an instrument to help children develop pride in their work and if I have an activity that I want the children to pop into their portfolios I let them know at the beginning of the activity that would like for the activity to go in their portfolios so if you want to take it home could you please do two activities for me. Um, and at the start of the year, the children aren't keen on this. So I show them an example of a completed portfolio and I explain that they're going to have a portfolio each and we'll spend all year filling up. So at the end of the year, we'll give them as a gift to our parents or family to show them everything we learned throughout the year. Children generally dig this idea. I'm also a bit, um sorry the cat's getting me I'm also a bit unconventional in that I don't leave the portfolios at your child's level as I found that they were a bit disrespectful a bit disrespected when I did instead I have them on a shelf in my room just above their reach and I try to teach them that because their portfolios are so special uh we won't play with them all the time just like when we bring a special toy from home and we don't that we don't want broken and of course um But of course when requested i will get the portfolios out and the children um, can go through their progress Uh, then when you find your groove in your room there's a super special documentation type that i highly recommend and one i aim to produce on special days you know like mother's day or father's day whatever and that is artifacts of learning now according to my old faithful evidence source wikipedia an artifact of learning is an object created by students during the course of instruction to be considered an artifact, an object needs to be lasting, durable, public, and material. In my classroom, this includes jewelry made in the room by the child, the fruit of our labors in a cooking class session, plants that the children have nourished, and sometimes when I have the staffing, I'm a mentor of a special day, such as a bookmark for book week, or, and this probably isn't an artifact of learning, but I like doing it, a laminated class photo of everyone in a costume for a dress-up day with their names and a date on the back. The sky is the limit on Artifacts of Learning and truly taking special little treasures home makes the children so excited. Definitely 100% recommend. Um, and another place to keep documentation that I actually really don't enjoy due to a truly <laughs> horrible Wi-Fi connection at my center, can you guess? It's Story Park. You may have an equivalent app at your center. Um, I've noticed that Early Childhood Australia recently launched a new series of Learning Hub modules on digital implementation and technology in collaboration with Story Park. I feel like maybe the word they should have used instead of collaboration was sponsorship. Story Story Park subscriptions are a huge cost for childcare providers and honestly for me using the software just feels clunky. I utilize it for my monthly program, the three summative assessments I complete per child each year, and then it comes down to the daily Story Park posts. <laughs> Look, I love the idea of them, but when I started at my centre, every room was covered for half an hour each day to post on Story Park, and it was easy enough to post. But that policy disappeared, and now my families are lucky to receive four, four Story Park posts a week. I don't think they're meaningful, and I feel that a photo sharing out would better suit the parents. And I say that as a parent. I do think, however, that in the younger rooms with the 4 to 1 ratio and a rest time that generally sees most, if not all, children sleeping, that it is easier to facilitate daily posts on the app. But in my room, particularly during those first 10 weeks of the year, look, my room is definitely working on the lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if management can't facilitate non-contact time for me to write a daily post, then I'm not going to prioritise it over the children's wellbeing. So, now we've covered different ways to document and the various places we can store our documentation. However, this leaves two big questions, I feel. What do we document and when do we find the time to do it? We will be dissecting that in our next episode as we continue to cover documentation with a view of getting on top of your time management to become to produce to getting on top of your time management to better document meaningful moments. Thanks for tuning in to Only Jade your online EL. I'll catch you next time.